own every moment with Peter Hamlin. Start doing it. Just start doing whatever it is that you are trying to do. Keeps you inspired. Always about tomorrow's show. Nothing, nothing makes me happier. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like when they succeed, we succeed, right? So, you know, it's, it's always interesting. It's always changing. It's very dynamic. Um, and so that's, I mean, I've never had a boring day in the office and, you know, 25 years I've been doing this. Welcome to the Own Every Moment podcast, a place for creatives, entrepreneurs, artists, and people like you looking to grow or launch a business or a project with ultimate purpose. Welcome. My guest today is Alex Carruthers. Alex is the founder of the independent music venue Higher Ground in Burlington, Vermont, and he is the co-owner of the State Theater and Thompson's Point in Portland, Maine. He books and produces six artist-curated music festivals in the United States and Mexico. Alex has over 25 years in the live events side of the music business and currently produces over 600 events annually. He is a board member of the Independent Promoter Alliance and the executive producer of a Vermont PBS music series. Alex loves to snowboard, and personally, Alex is a person who I've always looked to for entrepreneurial inspiration because he just does really cool, creative projects that support and uplift all folks involved. So very excited and honored, Alex, to have you here. Um, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, things are things are busy. We're getting ramped up for the summer season, uh, and we're still kind of navigating through the, the pitfalls of COVID right now indoors, but um, we're getting through it, and it does, definitely feels like it's getting better. Yeah, yeah. I feel, yeah, I saw some percentage yesterday where it was like Massachusetts, where I am, the cases dropped 71%. So I was like, well, that's positive. <laughs> that's a good sign, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the rolling back of the mask mandates, you know, um, in a bunch of states through, you know, the Northeast is, is good. We just, we got to kind of get to a place where this stuff starts to just fade in the background and people get more comfortable with just kind of coexisting. You know, we have to really get to a place where bands that are out on tour, you know, if they test positive, like the tour doesn't have to come down yes. or stop. Yeah. You know, because it just the touring industry is not gonna survive if those are the protocols that we're operating under. And, and given that, you know, the infection rates around Omicron and whatever is coming next, you know, are high. So like positivity rate is high, but actual, you know, um, symptomatic infections tend to be very minimal. Yeah. It just we've got to reconcile those two things if we want to keep bands out on the road. I mean, we just lost, we had two nights with Courtney Barnett um, Wednesday and Thursday of this week. And, you know, she was mildly symptomatic. She tested, she tested positive and it meant the last five dates of her tour had to come down two of which were us. Um, so that just, you know, that's not, that's not a viable business model you know, going forward, it's been fine, you know, um, and everyone's been on the same page with it. But at some point, you know, we're going to have to figure out as an industry and as a culture how to change that dynamic. Yeah. 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 My wife is in the medical field and, and, uh, she, you know, they, she works at a boarding school. She's in the health center. She's the nurse practitioner. And, and the kids came back after January break and 200 kids had it. 
you know, because they, they tested everybody, but only a handful of them really had any serious symptoms, if any. And so they were navigating those waters and they're like, yeah, we're headed to an endemic, right? This is going to be an endemic. And it's, we just, yeah, I think on your point, we just need to accept that and, and, and go about our business. And yeah, so. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. so we're just still navigating through that, especially with the indoor venues. And, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, getting ready for a busy summer active outdoor season. Yeah, which I'm excited about. I'm excited about. Well, I want to I want to bring you back. Uh, you know, I, I um, uh, the first time that I had heard of the higher ground or anything, I, th- I think it was 2003. And I was running a chamber of commerce down in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And my friends talked me into going in and buying a music venue called the Stone Church in Newmarket, New Hampshire. And I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> I like music. You know, I, I like business. And um and so I started networking with people and talking to people and they were like, you got to go to the higher ground. You got to go to Burlington. Actually, you were in Winooski. You got to go to Winooski, Vermont and go to the higher ground, go to the higher ground. And so we took a trip and I, I think it was the Assembly of Dust was playing, uh, which was a which was a strange folk spinoff anyways. And uh, I remember walking into this venue and just being like right away, just being like, well, this is what we need to do. It was just the vibe and the energy and so anyways that so 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 i know it's been now 24 years for you in the music industry but i i wonder if you could just talk about being 22 years old starting a music venue and what made you believe you could be successful at that uh i would call it the hubris of youth um (laughs) basically the only reason we were able to do what we did at that time is because we didn't know any better um you know if i if i knew now uh, if I knew then what I know now, you know, probably wouldn't have ever done it, you know, and I think that's probably a good testament to almost any young business, particularly businesses that are in the music sphere. You know, it's like, it's better not to know because if, if you know everything you're up against and how daunting it's going to be and how low the margins are, you know, under most circumstances, you would just never do it. Um, but you know, we were, you know, I was young, you know, my partners were young and or inexperienced and or both. Um, and so we just went at it. And because there were four of us who were all working partners, um, we were able to basically hold the thing together for three years, you know, while we, you know, made no money, we took no paychecks. We basically lived, ate, work and slept at the venue to, to hold it together, you know, and there were, there were so many weeks where it didn't seem like we were going to be able to make payroll um, or cover the costs and, you know, rent was late. And thankfully we had a landlord who was, you know, very copacetic and giving us a shot and giving us some latitude to, to get through it. And then, you know, in time, we kind of figured out our routines and we, we got on the map a little bit more. We figured out how to, I mean, we didn't know any, we didn't know how to structure deals. We didn't know how to run bar programs. I mean, we were, we were just sort of putting the plane together while it was flying. And in a lot of senses, we were putting it together wrong because we just didn't, we didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people think, oh, the music business, oh, that's a fun thing to do. Like I'll do that. And <laughs> I, I, I think, I think uh, the knowledge of running a venue and, and, and figuring all that out is the reality check of that. Yeah. 
I mean, there, there's a reason music venues don't last, right? I mean, there are very few music venues that you can point to in this country that have lasted or stood the test of time. And, and you know, they fail for a whole bunch of reasons, you know. They fail because it's a hard business, it's low margin, it's high labor. Um, you don't control depending on what type of music venue you are and how you run it. But, you know, we are, we're not open if we don't have a show, right? So we are all about events and, and we're, and when we were in Winooski and now when we're in South Burlington, you know, we're a, more of a destination venue. We're not downtown. So if we don't have a show, we're closed. Um, so, you know, you're in a business where you also don't control your inventory. Um, so, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of, you know, the touring cycles and what's happening, you know, out there. And sometimes there's too many bands out on the road and there's too much traffic and you can't book at all. And the shows end up cannibalizing each other. And then other times there's no traffic and, and there's not enough shows. And, you know, and that that's a real challenge with trying to keep, you know, a consistent level of work for a consistent staff mm. to to stick around and be able to you know make the money they need to make to pay their bills and, and stuff. So so it, it's it's very challenging. And then I mean an, another reason why a lot of venues over time have have shuttered or or failed for one reason or another is um, they tend to move into areas that are. Um, you know, sort of edge neighborhoods, you know, so they're sort of edgy neighborhoods that are um, where rent is affordable and they move in and they establish and then restaurants moving around them and retail and then um, residential starts to boom around that because there's stuff going on. And then the neighbor, the neighborhood becomes gentrified which is fine but then the rents go up and so the music venue can't afford to be there anymore so that's that's another reason why you see a lot of music venues particularly sub 1000 cap independent music yeah. venues disappear yeah yeah um maybe to now take you back just a little bit before before the launching of the higher ground why music? What what attracted you to music? It seems like you know you could you could have went into any business you know at that age or you know but what what drew you to the music business? Um, so I mean I I became enamored with music you know in high school like many people and I started booking some bands while I was in high school and then I I came up to UVM for college up to Burlington and UVM for college and. I was an environmental studies major, um, so it wasn't really my academic focus. But while I was doing that, I continued to do stuff in the music business, um, mostly just because it was fun and interesting, and I was excited to to do that kind of work. And so, you know, I worked at a record label, and I worked for a band, and um, and then I wrote my senior thesis on a solar powered music festival. So I was able to kind of combine the, the two worlds um, together. Um, and then, you know, serendipitously fish moved their management offices to Burlington at that time when I was in college, they, they moved up from, I think they were in Somerville, Mass. Um, and we had some mutual friends. So I reached out and said, you know, do you need any help? I'll make coffee. I'll make photocopies. I'll answer the phones, whatever you need. Um, so I, I did that. I worked for fish for, wow. uh, a like a couple of years while I was in college, 
And then as I came out of college, um, and then it was kind of one of those things where I, I thought I was going to leave Burlington and head to New York and probably work for a record label or do something along those lines. And um, Fish had launched their first major festival called the Clifford Ball. It was over in Plattsburgh um, on the old Air Force Base over there. You know, and, and at the time, this is, I can't, 96 or 97, I think. Um, you know, th- this was a really novel idea, this sort of major American music festival, you know, Lollapalooza didn't exist, Coachella didn't exist, um, none of Bonnaroo didn't exist, none of the major festivals or even minor festivals um, existed, you know, so it was really a fascinating time and it was really cool to be part of the organization that was helping manifest, you know, this thing. Um, And it was really kind of like cutting, you know, a whole new thing from scratch, you know, and there, there are some basic, there are a lot of European models, the European festival model had been established. Um, and there was the jazz festival in New Orleans. And, uh, there were, there were a couple of things around, but they were, they were sort of few and far between. Um, so I, I did that and I, I stuck around with fish through the Clifford ball, which was amazing. And then, um, and then there was sort of this opportunity that just kind of popped up to do higher ground. And we opened in April of 1998. 98, 98. Did you, um, I mean, I mean, it's probably hard, but did you ever think like when you were working with fish and in their office and did you ever see, did you, could you foresee what was going to happen to that band? Just, well, I mean, to be honest, by the time I got, I mean, I, I was a fan of the band all the way through high school, my high school experience up through. So I'd seen the band already go from, you know, clubs and theaters to amphitheaters and, you know, small arenas. Um, So by the time I started working for them, you know, they were already playing, you know, they were already more or less at the stage that they are at now. Oh, they are, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the the band was like firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, and you know it was exciting because you yeah. know, and had reached that sort of plateau and the world was their oyster you know and it was like the cover rolling stone and yeah. you know they were you know billy breeze and all you know they were like they had they had money and and um to put towards like you know albums and they had a label you know they just kind of yeah. had like they were firing all cylinders i think yeah. that's the, the best way of putting it so um it was fun because you know and they got you know, even at that time, they had tons of latitude to do whatever they wanted because they didn't fit within the normal format of, you know, even even while they were, you know, sort of trying to have a radio hit or maybe that's not the way way of, of phrasing it, you know, they, they had an album and, you know, there was, you know, maybe a song on it that they were, you know, kind of shopping to radio. You know, it, it never really was, it was never really critical to their formula or to their success. It yeah. was just sort of like, oh, hey, let's try this and we'll see. You know, yeah. something sticks there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was great, but you know, and I mean, I, I, I feel like I saw it coming because I was a fan yeah. early, right? Yeah. You know, when they were still in clubs and theaters. So I mean, I definitely felt like they were a band that had the potential to go and get to where they are today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So now um since the higher ground and since your experience um you own venues in burlington vermont you own venue uh in in um in portland maine the state theater which is which is amazing what you've done i used to go to the state theater when it was 
not what it is now. It was pretty rough, rough place to be. But uh, anyway, so and I know that you know festivals and you're and and I know you just came back from Mexico at a big festival, Wilco down there. So I saw somewhere where you're doing over 600 shows a year through clubs and festivals and outdoor venues. And I, and I wonder, 24 years, 600 shows a year, everything you everything you've accomplished. What 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 are you what do you what what keeps you inspired? Always about tomorrow's show. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that's interesting, and I think this is why a lot of people gravitate towards live music or live events. You know, it's every day is different. You yeah. know, and and no two events are the same. You know, for better or for worse. I mean, it makes what we do very challenging because you can never create. You know a formula where, you know, it's, it's done the same way each time, you know, obviously you can create systems and build a great staff and, and try to make things easier, but, you know, every band, you know, we work with bands and you're in partnerships with the bands, you know, on, on every single show, whether it's a 200 person club show or a 1500 person theater show or a 25,000 person festival. Um, so you're, you're in this sort of constant, partnership collaboration with an entity that is outside of your entity mm. um, and you've got to figure out how to get along and, and get to the finish line in a very on a project that's on a very compressed timeline um, so you know it's it's always interesting it's always changing it's very dynamic um, and so that's I mean I've never had a boring day in the office and you know 25 years I've been doing this <laughs> um. Yeah, that's that's yeah that that's it's it's yeah like you said each event is its own little business right it has its own marketing plan its own budget its own yeah so that's yeah that's that's I, I think to expand on your question a little bit more I mean I think the thing that that still gets me really excited is you know the discovery and development of new artists mm-hmm. you know like it's hard to build a business on that because we spend a lot of time energy and frankly money developing artists and you know most of the time it it doesn't come back right you know but that's part of just the ecosystem that you know we've bought into and it's and it's certainly part of the you know ecosystem that that i've worked you know to create um and it's important right because there's a lot of bands i, mean, I read somewhere yesterday or the day before like there's sixty thousand new tracks being uploaded to spotify every day right wow. sixty thousand new tracks every day so there's there's a lot of new music that's that's coming. We've democratized yeah. music, and for better or for worse, and you know, generally for better, it's great. You know, there's just like everyone's got a shot, but it also means that there's just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of new music coming down the pipeline. So for me, it's always really exciting when we've we get to work with an artist that's young, that we really feel has potential, you know, and and work with them at a bunch of steps in their career. You know, we work in markets that are secondary, tertiary markets most of the time, you know, so when bands do truly get, you know, successful, you know, sometimes they don't come back, you know, and, and that's okay. We try not to take it too personally, but um, we also, you know, we don't have an arena. We, we have a low population density. I mean, you know, Vermont's only 625,000 people. Um, so there's just not a ton of people here, um, you know, and so some bands just have to kind of, you know, decide for themselves and, you know, they don't always get to go play 
places like Burlington. But, you know, when we do get to work with artists and, you know, see them play the showcase lounge or then the ballroom or then do something outdoors with them, you know, it's wonderful. I mean, and sometimes we only get one play. Like we did a show with Maggie Rogers. It was one of her first shows outside of New York City um, before she had a deal um, before anything. And, and she came up and did a developing show. It was supposed to be in the showcase lounge. It sold well enough that we moved it into the ballroom, you know, and, and she's obviously gone on to do what she's gone on to yeah. do, you know, and, and she hasn't been back to Burlington to play a show. Um, but we've done a bunch of stuff with her over in Portland and um, it's been fun to see her success. Yeah. If I, um, uh, so that's a good question. It's like, I, I know things have changed. Like you said, it's so easy. You know, you, you see a, you see an artist now like Maggie Rogers and you hear about her and the next minute she's got major label representation and a booking agent. And she, you know, I mean, it's happened so fast in today's world. Um, so I, a couple questions about developing artists. Uh, one is, is, is where do you look, where do you find them? And uh, two, what catches your eyes, your ears at this point? Is it, is it strictly talent or is it their business sense? So I guess it's a two-part question. Where are you finding them and what's attracting you to say, yes, I want to take a shot at them? I, I don't know whether I have like any sort of calculus in terms of how we find them. I mean, we book a lot of shows, as you mentioned yeah. earlier. So, you know, we just, we see a lot of things come through the smaller rooms that we book. Um, and again, you know, based on just the amount of, music and traffic and content that that's out there, you know, it, it's impossible these days to be plugged into all of it anymore. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times it's, we just stumble onto something or, you know, a, a friend or a trusted ally turns us onto something in a lot of cases, it's stuff that has some direct connection to Vermont. So, you know, a lot of the energy or Maine, um, a lot of the energy we end up putting into artist development, well, let me phrase it a different way. When we get super excited about something, a lot of times it tends to be something that is homegrown or has some connection, right? Because it feels like there's a more direct relationship. You know, if there's some great band out of Jacksonville, Florida that comes through, you know, we can get excited and play the show and do what we can in these markets. But, you know, like we don't live near the band. We don't have geographical proximity, we're probably not going to see the band again for a couple of years, but artists that are, you know, coming out of or associated with Vermont, upstate New York, New Hampshire, Maine, those are artists, you know, that we take a particularly keen interest in because we feel like, you know, what's good for them is good for us, you know, and, and it's, it's a wide range of, of music, right? So, I mean, there's, strange folk, you know, there was the Lisbaha, there's yeah. hands, you know, more recently, you know, there's the devil makes three, uh, that's down more the Southern part of the state. There's Noah Khan, you know, who's, yeah. you know, singer, pop singer, songwriter. Um, there's an A.S. Mitchell who's, you know, sort of indie folk. Um, so, you know, there's, there's Grace Potter. Um, so like musically, they're all over the place. It's, it's a pretty wide range of stuff um 99 neighbors which is a hip-hop collective that's based out of burlington um you know we've been working to help them so you know the nice thing is it's like it, it's not we're not looking for a specific 
type of music or genre. It's more about what, what do we get excited about? And, you know, even just the fact that they're from Vermont. So I think in, in answer to your second part of the question is, I mean, the music has to be at the base of it, right? So you have to be excited about the music. Um, the songs have to be good, um, you know? And so if, if you've got that piece of it, then the other pieces are, you know, are they organized? Are they professional? You know, are they, do they have a good team behind them? And sometimes these things take time. I mean, not, not every band, you know, all this stuff is like, it, it happens sort of, organically it happens over time it's cumulative sometimes sometimes the team changes right mm -hmm. um so but you know those are pieces of it you know and then there's like there's sort of star power right like i mean the i just remember the first time i met grace it's like i mean she's gonna be she's gonna be a star like she doesn't have a plan b you know there's like there's, there's no other option for her except to be what she's going to be, yeah. you know, which is, uh, you know, a musical star. So, so some of it too is, you know, like kind of trying to recognize, you know, that in people too, um, you know, and again, that comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes too, because, you know, you've got an artist like Anais, you know, who, who took a much different path and trajectory, you know, and, and has been working long and hard and kind of went, you know, like, was you know a, a touring folk artist but then all of a sudden you know wrote this incredible folk opera that you yeah. know and it took 10 years but you know got it to a place where you know it's on broadway and very successful so um so you know it's like there's no single one path you know everyone's gonna kind of have their own thing and and every artist you know has their own personality and team and way that they're going to kind of go at being successful. So, you know, our, our goal is to work with them in whatever way it makes sense and, and try to be as helpful as possible. Um, you know, one of the things we did with Anais early, early on was help her tour Hades town around the state of Vermont when it was still, you know, I mean, it, she had written it all. She had a great director um, and they had the concept of it. And then, you know, kind of took it and produced it throughout the state. Um, and that helped, uh, you know, create more proof of concept. And it was, it was one step in, you know, probably the, the 15 step process that it took to get it from point A to point B. Yeah. Just a follow-up question, because I, I wonder when when she's up there, you know, uh, receiving these, you know, what did she win? Ten Emmy, nine nine Emmys. I mean, uh, you know, there was a lot. Tonys, I think. Tonys, sorry, yeah, Tonys. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, is that how does that feel? Like knowing that you know she was coming around as a folk troubadour, you know, playing, you know, for tips, and now here she is, and and you know, that must that must nothing be nothing makes me happier. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like when they succeed, we succeed. Right. So that's, and, you know, and again, this comes back to being in a small state like Vermont, you know, I always want Vermont to punch above its weight class. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, especially artistically and culturally and creatively. Um, so when we can, we, the collective, we can produce, you know, the state can produce artists like Aeneas and Grace and Francesca and Noah and, you know, all the other amazing artists that have come out of the state of Vermont. Um, that makes me happy. And that's a good thing for everyone. Yeah. 
What would you say, um, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs or artists or that have a dream or a passion. And um, the one of the biggest questions they ask is, how do I start? You know, I'm stuck. I have this idea. Or I have this songs I've written. How do I start? What would you what would be your advice to them to how do you start? How do you just put your foot on the gas? I mean, I think it depends on where they're at. I mean, if they have, a, you know, a bank of songs, I mean, you got to start with the songs, right? So you got to have the material. Um, so start by writing a bunch of songs and, and getting, you know, the best material you can. And don't worry about having, when I say the best material, just start writing material. Some of it's not going to be good, but, you know, you never know when you're going to get something amazing. You know, writers have to write, you know, so you just have to do that. So assuming you're not talking about that step in it, like you're talking about someone who's already got a bank of material. Yeah. And whether they're playing solo or with a band. Yeah. Or they got a business plan for a music venue or they, you know, yeah, yeah. Or they're a promoter and they're putting shows on at their college or, you know, that kind of that kind of place where you're like, ah, I want to do this, but I don't I'm stuck. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether there's anything universal. It's all very, you know, I would say it's more specific, right? It's like, you know, the universal comment, I guess, is just start doing it. Just start doing whatever it is that you are trying to do. And even if it means you're, if you're a promoter and you're putting on a concert, you know, in your living room or your garage or in the basement of a church, you know, just do it. Um, and, and, or if you're a musician, you know, playing gigs in living rooms or church basements or garages, um, because it's like, that's how you get started. You know, you just have to start doing it. And, you know, one of the things I think I've realized, and I think, you know, if you look around, you, you see a lot of this, I mean, there's just a lot of people on social media, you know, particularly on social media, you know, who like to tear things down, you know, and so you have to just be willing to be a different type of person and not just sit behind a screen and behind a keyboard and tear things down, figure out how to build things up and do things, right? You know, it's like get out there and be active and not just spend all the time, you know, on the screen. And then I'm not saying like, you know, like that's obviously important to whatever business you're in. Uh, you have to do that. But if you want to, everything we're talking about is a very tangible, you know, experience, right? Like a live event is in person. There's, there's a PA, there's tickets, there's people, there's potentially bars, whatever. There's, there, it's a real thing. Um, if you're a musician, you know, sure, you can play a show on Zoom, but like that's not going to satisfy your soul. You know, like you need to be in front of people. So, you know, the, the the worlds we're talking about right now are all, you know, they're they're tangible, they're real, they're in person. So you, you have to get out there and and just do it. And in most cases, you have to do it a hundred times, you know, and a lot of them are gonna not be good, right? Whether they're performances or whether they're shows that you do, you know, and, you know, but you just, every time you get knocked down, you stand back up again. Nice. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, I, uh, 
I know from just knowing of your business model and, and that you that you're you're very good at forming relationships. I know you have partnerships um, in New York, you have partnerships in Maine. You're talking about partnerships you've made with artists. Um, I know you have this amazing partnership with Wilco and their festivals. And I wonder if you one you could talk about um, how you've created these partnerships and and how you look at these people as not competitors but as as allies. And two, talk about the power the power of when you do create that relationship and how you grow that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know whether there's any like secret sauce. I mean, I think it's. It's just kind of it's it's either how I, I was cut and made and brought up, or it's just you know I look at it as, you know I think some people look at it look at relationship as like I win you lose right and it's a zero sum game, um, and I think there are other ways to look at things where it's it can be win win right and so um, part of the thing that experience gives you, or at least has given me is, you know, like, I don't want to be partners with everybody, right? Like there are some people I don't like, you know, and there's some people that I don't work well with, you know? Um, and there are other people that like I admire greatly and respect and, you know, and, and that takes time, you know, it's like you make, you have to make a lot of the bad mistakes and go through the bad partnerships to get to the good ones. So it's not like, it was magical and it just worked. I mean, for as many amazing partnerships as I have today, I probably have an equal amount of partnerships that weren't amazing. You know, um, they all teach you something, you know, that's all part of the process about what we just talked about. Like you get knocked down, you stand back up. So you just, you keep going and you, you, I think this is true of probably almost anything in life. Like you eventually find the people that, you can ally with that you trust and and all of the partnerships you know i will say are the ones that i'm in that are good and healthy and great they're just built on trust right so ultimately especially in the music business so much is done via handshake deals and relationships you know like it's not like hey we sat down and we like hammered out a contract and we're in the you know it's like it's just it's all it's all relationships it's all handshakes um so you have to trust each other and if you don't trust people then it's tough to have it's tough to build a relationship around that so um you know and, and a lot of trust is is built on communication so you've got to you got to figure out, you know, what form and what level of communication you're comfortable with. I mean, we, we, we probably over communicate, you know, with our partners because, you know, we just feel like that's important and we want to be transparent, you know, with anybody that we're doing business with. Um, and that means there's a healthy amount of communication and, you know, and not everyone is good at that. Not everyone likes doing that. Um, not everybody wants to do that. And and that's also fine. And, and that's a different way of going. So, and, and there are some things that I do because we have a lot of different things going on where I've decided like, oh, this is a thing that I'm not going to have a partner in because I, I want to move faster than a partner will allow me to do. And so it's, it's easier to keep this a wall off garden and this thing that we're working on, you know, we can just, we can move really fast and quickly and we don't have to have a partner. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's 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 good to hear. You know, saying that for as many good partnerships, there's partnerships that don't work, and you need to navigate those those lanes and and uh, and know what's working for you. So that's yeah, that's great. Um, how, what is uh, in your business model or in your daily process? How important is goal setting? Is that something that that your you and your team sit down and look at the year or look at the week or you know how important is goals in your in your operation? Yeah, I mean we have daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, and yearly goals, you know, and the goals are always shifting, you know, so every day, you know, I wake up and I'm like, what are the things I need to get done today, right? Like, what, what are my priorities? What are the, the four things that, you know, need to happen today? Um, and then, you know, there's what, what needs to happen this week, what needs to happen this month, you know, as a team, you know, we, we try to set, okay, hey, you know, each year, beginning of the year around this time, you know, it's been a little weird with the pandemic and stuff, but you know, where, where do we want to go as an organization? Do we want to grow? Are we happy with where we're at? Like we've, we've never been, or I'll, I'll say I've never been driven by the insatiable need to just keep growing. Right. It's, it's if I if, if I was built that way, I probably wouldn't be living in Burlington, Vermont. Um, uh, so you know we've we've grown um, and and we've grown very organically. We've grown very sustainably, um, and and that's fine. Um, but we don't set out the year to be like, okay, we need three more festivals, or we need to book. We booked six hundred shows last year. We need to book. 700 shows this year um so and again it's it's some of that is just personality but i think some of it is you know like i don't want to we don't control the content necessarily right we talked about that earlier so i don't want to just necessarily set a show count i mean sometimes we set show counts on the venues because we have budgets that we have to balance right so in order to make payroll and rent and utilities and the GNA expenses that we have on a venue, you know, we have to do X number of shows in a given year. So, you know, I'm not saying we don't, we don't practice that sometimes um, by necessity, um, but we try not to practice it just simply based on growth for growth's sake. Um, so, so there's, you know, so there's, I think there's a wide range of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, like I said, it's, it's been a teeny bit wacky, the last two years with the pandemic, it's been harder to be, you know, goal as goal oriented. It, we've been, we've been in like reaction mode yeah. um, for the last two years I and mean, basically since March 13th. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to the, the point where we can kind of get back to things that are stabilized and we can be looking forward and we can be pro in proactive mode more than reactive mode. Yeah. Um, just a little follow-up on that uh, because you mentioned the pandemic. I mean, what, 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 I mean, I know there was money and there was, you know, grants and people helping out, but, but on more of a personal kind of emotional level, what, I mean, hopefully, like you said, hopefully we're, we're moving into a different, um, a different way of dealing with this, but uh, what pulled you through the pandemic the last two years, being in an industry that was one of the first ones to close and one of the last ones to open and, yeah, like what pulled you through? Not not financially, but on the other side of it. You know, so it, it's been a roller coaster. You know, uh, emotionally, um, sort of metaphysically. Um, 
I, I guess that I'd say there's probably three things that like, uh, if I'm asked to reflect on that, I mean, one is like living in Vermont was a really nice place to be during the pandemic. Right. So we've got fresh air, we've got space, we've got generally reasonable people who followed protocols and got vaccinated and, and, you know, behaved well and stuff. So, so that helped, um, you know, my family, you know, I've got, she's four and a half now, but, you know, so when we started this, she was, you know, two and a half. Um, so kind of going through this with, you know, my wife and my daughter and just having like a really good, healthy family unit through this um, has been helpful. Right. Cause I think for most people, when things get challenging, like that's where you come back to. Um, so that, so that's been great is having a really solid structure there. Um, and then the third one I think is like, you know, because the business side of stuff, which was like, I wasn't necessarily worried as much about the, the pandemic, but you know, it was more about how it impacted, you know, this, this business and all the employees and the staff and, and what we were doing and how to get through it you know, we, there were a lot of bumps, you know, and, and there was a lot of unknown and speculation, but, you know, we tried to like kind of just turn the company. So everyone, all the full-time staff stayed on. Um, and we tried to just be useful within the community. Right. So we were like, listen, we don't have a business right now. Like that's fine. Let's not even try to pretend we do, but let's operate under the assumption that this is going to end at some point and we're going to be okay, even if we're, we're bruised and battered, but like, what can we do in the meantime, you know, besides just have a bunch of um, zoom calls. And so, so we did a lot of things that, you know, would probably take me an hour to talk about, but, you know, we did a, a drive-in concert venue. We did a live streaming series with, a local musician who put together a band and a special guest and an interview process. And, you know, we kind of built a variety show that we did and it was, you know, in part to keep our production team active and paid and not going out of their minds, you know, <laughs> idle, you know, we produced a, a, a TV, like a TV series for Vermont tourism where we put Vermont bands in, you know, we put um, Nico case who lives in Vermont, um, in the tram at Jay Peak and recorded a set. We put Grace Potter at the top of Mad River Glen and recorded a set. Um, so it was a multifaceted project. Um, so we we just tried to stay busy, being useful within our community. Um, and then, you know, obviously I was toiling away, you know, trying to figure out legislative stuff to help both you know, locally and at the federal level, um, advocacy on behalf of, you know, independent music venues and independent promoters and stuff. So, I mean, we stayed busy um, and we're still, we're still, I mean, it's kind of, we're sort of busier than ever um, right now, but it's still, you know, there's still a little wobbly in terms of just the indoor stuff. Like I said at the beginning, I think we're coming out the other side, but uh, it's been a path. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that's that's great, man. I mean, you know, it's it's to hear you. You know, you're you're in the creative field, right? Being a music promoter is creative, and you're you're supporting creative people. So you got through by 
being creative. We're creative, and and that's that's fun. That's that's I think that's a good a good message for everybody. On um, I only got a few more questions. I know we got a limit, um, but uh, just because I was thinking, do you ever allow yourself to dream? Like I would love to do that. I would love to create this. I would love to have this happen. Do you do you allow yourself to do that? And if you do, do they come true? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think almost everything we've done has manifested as part of a dream at, at some point, like, Hey, you know, wouldn't it be great to renovate and reopen an old, beautiful 1929 theater in Portland, Maine. And, and, and then we do it. Um, so, so, so there's, there's a lot of that. And I think solid sound is a big manifestation of a lot of the dreams I've had because solid sound, the Wilco festival that we do in Western mass there's tons of latitude we have with that festival because of the way it's designed and it's built around Wilco and Wilco can sell most of the tickets. So we're not, we're not as um, married to the lineup performing in the same way that lineups have to perform in other festival settings. Um, so we've got more latitude in terms of how we book and what we book. We've got more latitude because we're at large contemporary art museum you know in north america in terms of the type of on-site activations and auxiliary programming we do so you know that festival in particular is a real outlet for a lot of ideas and dreams and stuff that i have um so that so that's great and then in terms of i mean there's always other other businesses that you know i'm curious about and interested in doing and and so you know, I'm, there's a couple of things I've got working on. They're at a simmer right now. You know, they're still sort of low level, um, you know, that I'm hoping we're going to be able to launch in a couple of years. I mean, it just all this stuff sort of takes time and I can kind of work on it in the background until it's ready. And then we flip the switch and turn it on. But there's also, you know, it's like we're also talking about moving higher ground um, again um, to a new location in Burlington. Um mm-hmm at the Burton Snowboards is based in, in Burlington and they have a, mm-hmm. uh, a big campus in town. Um, and so they have a building that would work well for, for us. And so we would move from our current location in South Burlington on Williston road to this new facility. And, um, we'd have a, you know, an up to 1500 cap room, um, you know, with a wraparound U-shaped mezzanine and, you know, movable stage and, and all that stuff. So, you know, so there's, there's always a project that's kind of yeah. in the pipeline that keeps us busy and active. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. Wow. What a, what a marriage with Burton. That's, that's, that's exciting. I just saw the, what, I forget her name, but did you, I don't know if you caught the Olympics, she pulled off that 1620 and <laughs> it was just unbelievable what people are doing on snowboards these days. Um, yeah. yeah. So a couple more, um, the music industry, what is your hope for the music industry going forward? You know, saying that we come out of this, we're back to we're back to normal. We're back to people being confident coming indoors. What is your hope as the industry as a whole that has learned from this experience? Oh, post pandemic. What's my yeah. hope? Yeah. I don't know whether I've got a good answer. I mean, I, I honestly think the music industry is going to probably just 
ricochet back to the way it was. The music industry, you know, one of the things that always makes me a little sad is that it's um, it's an industry that has not figured out very well how to evolve over. I mean, it, it, we're essentially operating under the same business practices that were established in like the late 60s when like the sort of quote unquote modern, you know, live music industry was was created with Bill Graham. So, you know, it's a lot of little factions, you know, and, you know, that's part of what makes it exciting, you know, and dynamic, you know, all the things we talked about early on, but um, it's also part of the stuff that makes it tricky because it's very hard to evolve, um, you know, uh, because of that, because it's, it's, it is so many. And, And I mean, again, the beautiful thing is there are, a lot of independence, right? And that's one of the things that I guess on a, on a more sort of like elevated or spiritual note, I mean, one thing that the pandemic did do is it really cast a light onto independent music venues and promoters. And, and that Evo was created, the National Independent Venue Alliance, which was the organization that ended up shepherding through the Save Our Stages, which then became SVOG, Shuttered Venue Operator Grant Award, which, you know, saved the essentially the performing arts industry in this country. Um, and so it galvanized um, yeah. a lot of us and, and put us in touch with each other and comparing notes and really created a spirit of camaraderie that, that didn't exist before. Um, I hope that continues. I do think it will continue. Um, it also shed a ton of light on because we had to do so much advocacy at our local state and federal level to say like, Hey, if you got, if, if you guys being essentially the federal government and local governments don't step in and help, you know, our industry and our sector, you know, there's not going to be a performing arts sector after the pandemic, because, you know, for all the things you highlighted, like we were the first to close last reopen, things are still super wobbly. You know, the business model is, is already so wacky and operates on such thin margins that, you know, it's like, it's still not back to the way it needs to be, to be operating. So um, I, I would say that is probably one of the positives, you know, that, that came out of the pandemic um, which, which has been, which has been good. And, and as a result of it being more organized around sort of Neva, it's also allowed the industry to kind of identify other, you know, systemic problems within the touring industry and, and start to kind of talk, have conversations about those and, you know, what are ways to address those and come at it. Um, so, so yeah, that's been helpful. Yeah. I think too, it's, um, one of the things I've noticed, because, you know, also in the music industry and and um, when we did start doing shows again, the bands and everyone was so happy, <laughs> you know, because a lot of times the bands are on the road. It's their 14th day and they're, you know, they're just kind of like going through it. And every show, we oh, thank you. And just like given their, you know, they, they knew what they lost. And so I, I felt this this re-energized kind of artistic expression that people were able to give. It was really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we were able to turn things back on pretty quickly last summer. Um, so starting July sixth or seventh, you know, we turned on a our outdoor music series and you know got in pretty much a full season last summer. And you know, every show was 
totally joyous, yeah. right? Because we weren't sure we were going to even be able to do it last summer. So the fact that we got to do it, the bands that were out there active, you know, were thrilled to be playing. The audiences were thrilled to come out. So, I mean, that, that felt great. I mean, we were exhausted by the end of it and speed, but you know, it all felt really good. Yeah. I hope, I hope that can continue no matter what happens. Um, just check that down. Uh, so one last question. Um, is uh you know it's it's 60 years in the future now you've 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 done everything you set out to do you've you've accomplished all the goals that you've had you're sitting back and you're looking over you're looking back now you're looking back over this over this life um what 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 would be your legacy what would you have accomplished well i mean i guess it depends on you know i mean my family is, is, is the big one, right? I mean, you want to look back and, you know, I've got a a kid and and that helps change your perspective on things. Um, so, I mean, that's it. I mean, professionally speaking, which I think is probably more of what you're getting at, you know, it's like, did we do some good in the world? Right. I mean, we're still in the live entertainment business, right. You know, so, you know, I don't want to overshoot what we do, but you know, it's, like we talked about through this past hour is, you know, we try to be useful. We try to be helpful. We try to be part of an artist's career path and, and further them. So, you know, for me, it'll be looking back at all the artists that we developed deep relationships with and were able to help, you know, move them down the road towards a successful and sustainable career in arts or music, you know, um, I think that's, that's where, that's where I currently get, you know, a lot of pride and joy. And I think that's where I'm going to continue to get a lot of pride and joy. And we're going to continue to do that for as long as you know I'm around as, you know, the developing artist piece of it, you know, which is, which is a big part of what we try to do day to day. That's great. That's great. So um, you have many, many projects and many venues. Is, is everything every, people can find you at? Is it highergroundmusic.com? Is that is that kind of the place where people should go to find yeah, you? Yeah, there, there, I'd say there's probably two main ones. So highergroundmusic.com, you know, is, is our website for everything in Vermont and then all the stuff that we do outside of Vermont, aside from Maine. All the Maine stuff is at the State Theater Portland that's the Thompson Point stuff is there as well. I know you got okay. Yeah, so so we've got two venues in Maine. This the State Theater. We used to have three, but one of them fell by the wayside due to the pandemic. So we've got the State Theater currently and Thompson's Point. So everything that's Maine related lives there. Everything Vermont related and beyond uh, lives at HighGroundMusic.com. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much, Alex. This has been chock full of wisdom and insight and, uh, and excited to see you come back full force and, and, and what you dream up next. Great. Thanks for having me, Peter. This yeah. yeah. All right. Have a good, okay. Bye. Well, thank you for joining us and definitely check out Alex's businesses, the higher ground, the state theater, Thompson's point, and all the festivals and summer events he does with bands like Wilco up at Mass Mocha and Grace Potter on the shores of Lake Champlain. And if you enjoyed this show, you found some value, inspiration, please, please subscribe. Give it a five-star rating and a review over at Apple Podcasts. And please keep coming back. 
Are you looking to grow or launch your business or next project? Stuck not knowing what to do next? Well, please visit my website at www.peterhamlin.com. Send me an email and let's have a conversation. Let's see if we can work together to fulfill your potential and find your ultimate purpose. And remember, own every moment. We'll see you soon.